and welcome to Shut Up and Sit Down, the podcast. The podcast which is embroiled in a frontline war against people who don't play games. Does that sound threatening? I don't know. My name's Quentin Smith and I'm joined today by my first colonel-in-chief, Mr. Matt Lees. Hello! And the army doctor, Mr. Paul Dean. What? I don't know, honestly, where that intro came from, but here Can I be are. like Dr. McCoy and just be really grumpy? Uh, yes. <sighs> I'm a Dr. Jim, not an army man. <laughs> uh, Sorted. Paul, where are Hi. you? Where have you been? Because I'm I noticed after several weeks that you weren't in my flat anymore. I'm, I'm, that's because I'm in my bedroom, but by some kind of accident, my bedroom is in Canada. Oh my God. Mm, yeah and let me get this straight it's been it's been about it's been only a couple of weeks and you've already almost been killed by a man trying to run you over this is not true this is not quite true uh i did uh, i'm confused (laughs) you know there's the bit in alan partridge where he drives a car into something and he he gets really confused really quickly that was me because i was walking outside where i live at night to pick up something from the the petrol station or the gas station as we call it here Mm. and i walked by an intersection right outside my house and two cars came at each other at a right angle at like car speed 30 miles per hour made a very big noise as they hit one of them spun off and crashed into a barrier and i ran over to it and checked if the man inside was okay. I want to. I think people at home (laughs) probably are expecting a punchline here but this is not a joke this was like a it, it's okay. Everyone was fine. There are t- two slightly funny elements, okay. which is that because the man in the car was okay, and both the people were okay, um, or three funny elements. One was me going, what's the number for the police in Canada? What do I do? <laughs> which was fine because a police car was right behind the car that crashed. Okay. And this, this police officer came out and she just looked stunned that they'd crashed right in front of her. Like her job was done for the evening already. <laughs> Number two is because I was so happy the guy in the car was okay. I gave him like a thumbs up and he gave me a thumbs up. And I said, open the door. And he was like, I can't. <laughs> bent. And he just looked really disappointed. If, if he had opened the door, what were, you, what were you going to do there? What was your sort of exit plan for that encounter? To be, uh, to be quite frank, after realising that I didn't need to call the police and everyone was okay... And it wasn't very dramatic, which I'm very glad about. Hmm. I almost turned to the police officer and said, uh, I just almost said to her, Is, am I useless here or something? was the <laughs> line that almost came out of my mouth. Like, I can't do anything. <laughs> like, I should go, just go away. But she wanted me because I'm apparently the only witness. Oh, wow. Um, oh, it's the start of a TV series. He's the only witness. And... Oh, man. It seems like car crashes keep happening in your vicinity, Paul. Yeah. Which leads me to believe That's that either not you true. have very striking legs or <laughs> you sort of emit some sort of magnetic field which causes cars I to imagine lose control. it might be like Gross Point Blank where it's not just that there's one hitman trying to kill Paul. There are multiples and they like crash cars into each other to make sure that one doesn't get the shot. That yes. kind of thing. Or can, can like, I... Go on, maybe Go you're some sort of like special person, and there are like people going back in time to stop people from driving cars. Oh yes, that's oh my it. god, it's that's like amazing! Terminator. Because when Paul reaches age forty, he invents the board game that saves the world. No, he's going to be the commander of the world's army. Ah, okay. Um, but he's going to demand that he's not. He's a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and that I can was, see myself doing that. That was basically. Quite a neat segue. Paul, what board games have you been playing in Canada? They have board games in Canada, right? Uh, they've got about three now. Okay. Right. Um, 
So those are let me let me look at the list. Those are the Witcher board game. Okay. Um, Panamax. I played a while ago, and I think we'd like to talk about that a bit. I played some Spyfall. I played Dungeons and Dragons. They've got they're allowed that now up here <laughs> uh, in small the doses. The band has, has now lifted. Okay. Uh, uh, San Juan, but I want to talk about that later, and I think we're going to talk about XCOM some other time. So you we'll do you've something been... exciting with that. Yes, and then we have uh, a couple of exciting new regular features for the Shut Up, Sit Down, New Look podcast, which is kind of like New Coke, except it, it's, it's got less sugar the in same. it. It's less sugar in this but podcast. It's less sugar. This is a really healthy podcast. In. It's mm. it's entirely healthy with uh, sort of organic reader-supported emails at the end. It's so one what, of your what's... five podcasts a day. Yeah. What's the first course? Uh, the first course. Well, let's talk about Dungeons and Dragons because we really like Fifth Edition. Who are you in Dungeons and Dragons, and what's their story? God, I feel like a child every time this happens. Um, well, I'm a bard, and my name's NR, and I like long walks on the beach. <laughs> I'm sorry, your, your name is NR. NR? What's wrong with that? E N N A R. Well, it's, it's one syllable of Enamar, which is... Okay, and what's happening in your campaign? How are you finding the systems? How are you enjoying your time as Enamar? I actually can't go back and play anymore now, because every session now will just be that. Um, will be, be, I assume my re- listeners know what Enema is. Not going out. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, li- I like the systems. Uh, first of all, if we're going to talk about systems and rules, I feel it's kind of less mathsy than some of the previous editions, which is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a couple of, I don't know, really, really simple mechanics and ideas. Um, like the, the, the idea of advantage, which is if you're trying to do a certain thing, um, you roll two dice instead of one, and you just pick the dice that has the highest number. Mm-hmm. Or disadvantage, which is the opposite, which is you roll two dice and you have to pick the lowest. So you could be trying to hit a, a monster. Somebody in your party has given you advantage with a, a buff or a spell, um, and suddenly you're just rolling two dice and you pick the best. And it's and such a quick, easy, visual thing. And I feel like the game is bars, full of that. That's a lot of what bars do, right? In in the new D anD D, you're just kind of you bellow at people, and then they roll two dice instead of one. Constantly, actually, no matter the circumstance. That is exactly what happens. I'm basically like a young version of Brian Blessed, and I that shout sounds better at things. Than when I was a bard at True Dungeon at Jenkin last year, where I was just singing and nothing was really happening. Yeah, well, you were a young version of David Bowie, which is a different kind of bard. That's true. Did you? Was there any point at any? Ever in true dungeon? No, I'm no. not sure. I think there might have been, but it's really hard to divine whether or not. Like, I don't know whether there, there seemed to be a lot of the time. Like, just they weren't telling me that I didn't have to sing. I'm not sure out of pity or I, th- I think it was like a cultural thing. Like they just assumed we were British and that's what we do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's partially true. Uh, and so, I mean, what have been big events in your campaign? I want to know. Like, I've been role playing with you since we were. Since we were tiny, and now you're off God, in someone yeah. else's imaginary dungeon, plumbing it, looking for treasure. No um, treasure, Paul. The treasure's all here. You know what? I have quite a lot of money, and that's definitely not the thing that is that exciting to me in the campaign. I'm not excited about massing cash. Hmm. Without too many spoilers, we are on the trail of some kind of... There seems to be an army massing where we are, and we don't quite know who's in control of it. Uh, so we're trying to find out why and how that's happening. We've had a couple of kind of classic dungeon crawls, which have been interesting because there have been some weird monsters. Um, And that's a thing I've liked. I've seen quite a few creatures that I've not seen before. It's not really been goblins and orcs. It's been like um, 
kind of aggressive bushes and <laughs> angry fungus. I like the, an aggressive bush is, is still in my head not an enormous danger. Like oh no no no, I'd say something completely opposite. Actually, Quinns, I think it's 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 delving into the more electronic world of games. But after playing uh, the original Dark Souls, where there were bushes that would eat oh, your head yeah. off, um, aggressive <laughs> yeah. bushes give me nightmares. Personally, it's it's like that. It's like uh, your paladin has been pulled into a bush, but the bush is also killing your paladin. But now you can't attack the bush because your paladin's in the bush. What do you well, do now? That sort to, of bush. Don't go to garden centres ever again. That's <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember. Yeah, some people have been saying that the monster manual is just like in this edition. It's amazing, and it's just a trove of heinous, weird stuff that wants to eat you, as opposed to like just stereotypes. There's a lot of weird twists and spins on stuff, which is and great. I really like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right. So D and D is still definitely D and D, but with more bushes. That's good. But let's talk about something that we've all been playing then, because we've all now had a pop at Spyfall. Oh, the game of spies being in restaurants and not being very good at their jobs. Uh, I, I've, this is one of those games like Two Rooms in a Boom that I was so excited by the pitch that I had to download it immediately and then just print it and play it. And I, I sort of got five friends in a kind of sweatshop thing writing on loads of cards. Uh, but yeah, so. If I've got this right, if I'm remembering it correctly, one of you is secretly a spy. Everyone else gets given a card with a location, the same location on it. So everyone else but the spy knows you're in, for example, a submarine. And then you proceed to have a kind of really, really awkward, stilted conversation. Because no one wants to give away you're a submarine, but you're all trying to root out the spy. And what follows is hilarious as... Uh, yeah, someone asks the spy, you know, like, how they got here. And then the spy entirely freezes up. It's it's funny, isn't it? Did you find it as funny? Who me? Yes. You oh can... my goodness. Yes. Uh, <laughs> g- generally, yes. Um, I I love the idea that because you've obviously you've got no one knows who the spy is, and the spy has no idea what the location is, but everyone else does. You get you have to be so indirect, but if you're too vague, it's completely useless because you end up you know the questions you ask or the answers you get don't help anybody, and they just probably make everyone more suspicious of everyone else but you it's a game i think about finding that tipping point of vagueness yeah i think and that's so hard a good example of, of how it sort of works was probably the one where because you say about being vague basically the idea is that you have to kind of try and discuss where uh you have to make it clear to the other people who know where you are that you know where you are <laughs> yeah. because if yes. you if you are too, so vague that it seems like you don't know where you actually are then people are going to think you're the spy so you have to say something to make it clear to the other players that you do know right uh, and but then if you are the spy it means you are desperately it actually weirdly reminds me of like a Phoenix Wright game in a weird way of like you having to listen really carefully to everything someone says <laughs> and try and divine the exact bit, the tiny bit that they've said that is the nugget of information that you need to like think about to focus on where you could be. And if you can get a couple of them and piece it together and work it out, then you're golden. Because yeah. then you can just act and you can say you can add to that and you can or but then you still have to be like, well, I'll say something vague enough that if I'm wrong, it still might be okay. <laughs> it gets messed up as well by the fact that on each roll, on each card with the location is also everyone's role. So I yeah. had a, just a really nightmarish thing where if you're the sommelier at a restaurant and someone else is like the bathroom attendant, 
then you can end up having a really odd, different conversation where someone's <laughs> like, I always dreamed of working here because you're a sommelier. And the bathroom attendant's like, no, mate. <laughs> I don't know, not for me, really. Yeah. But it's... there are a couple of those, aren't there? There's like, if for the, I think for the police station location, you have a bunch of police officers, but then you have a criminal and then you have a journalist. Mm. <laughs> and oh, that's a bit God. sort of, you know... Because we had a thing... Uh, we had a thing at one point where uh, <laughs> I was talking to Quinns and we were on a boat, basically, and it was this thing of, I was like, oh, you know, do you enjoy it here? And then, like, Quinns was being super vague. <laughs> being like, yeah, no, I've always, I've always, you know, like... I've yeah, I've always thought here. I might possibly end up here uh, but, at some point. But then clearly got towards the end of it and started to panic and think, oh, actually, no, I haven't made it clear enough. I know where we are. And then just obviously sort of quietly said... Obviously, I can't leave. <laughs> and it being that, like, obviously, you know, like, it's that idea of, like, okay, like, just making sure that you're covering all the bases. Yeah. And I got really confused at one point because I thought that we were in a train when actually we were in a restaurant because <laughs> I was the spy. And it was because the game before, Brendan had messed up by asking, um, somebody said, how do you like the air in here? <laughs> yeah. And Brendan just crumbled because... He had no idea where he was supposed to be. Yeah. And because of that, having asked, how do you like the air, is a really weird question for when you're in a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a couple of like things about it that I just find so funny. One of which is just imagining the James Bond movie where the spy is delivering those lines of like, ah, oh, yes, I. when did I start working here? I, of course, have been here for years. <laughs> and just doesn't know... But then the other funny thing, which is like more of a deep cut, is uh, just trying to picture two people who work at like, you know, a pool having a conversation that's that shady. <laughs> just <laughs> kind of saying, so I haven't seen you around. When did you get here? It's a really interesting game because basically it is like, it is a pure, it's not even a bluffing game. It's a pure lying game. Yeah. And when you are the spy, I think the the tendency that I've found, which is really bad, is exactly the same problem that people have in, in job interviews of just not knowing when to stop the sentence. <laughs> like, <laughs> like somebody once told me a fantastic interview uh, technique, especially if you're interviewing like people for you know as a journalist or whatever, mm. is just ask them a question and then after they finish, just nod and say nothing and keep looking at them and they will keep talking <laughs> and they will keep just saying stuff until eventually they'll just knit themselves into a right mess of saying things they shouldn't because they feel awkward. And I remember at one point I was doing perfectly well. Oh, when yeah. I, th I thought we were on a train and then I just, I kept, everyone was like, okay, yeah. And then I just went slightly too far. I think I talked about carriages or something. <laughs> I just dropped in something that was, I could have stopped. Everyone was happy. And then suddenly it was like, everyone was like, hang on a minute. There aren't any carriages in a restaurant. <laughs> and I was just immediately busted. Um, turns out it's really quite hard to lie when you've got no idea what's going on. I mean, yeah, just that so many of them are so mundane. Because you have all the locations in the centre of the table, which the spy is also trying not to look at. Mm. Um, but then the fact that one of them is just space station, and that you could be somewhere that <laughs> awfully specific, <laughs> and uh, have to try and bluff, you know, that you're there. I do like, though, that looking at the, the things, because you have got, like, a kind of police station, and because you have got, like, a space station and a boat... Things like you saying, oh, obviously, you know, I can't leave yeah, straight it, away. It's almost like um, Guess Who, where you knock yes. down some of the locations that yeah. you know. And so long as you know, okay, I'm on a vehicle, that's good. I'll yeah. make my answer vehicle. You can just, <laughs> like, as long as you're fairly sure you've got the gist of it, you can work out the specifics later. Most of our games ended quite quickly, but I think 
Um, I'd be interested. To, I reckon once you get people who know all the locations and stuff, you could have it more of a, mm. a slightly longer game of Guess Who of having because nobody really managed to get the gist. But if you properly got the gist early on, then you might be able to hang in long enough to actually yeah. work out. I think especially with more players, if you've got eight players, then this why might not even be questioned for ages. Which yeah, I think it's it's really good. I want to play more of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so did you? I just wanted to ask: Did you find the spy more often than the spy got away with things, or was it about kind of equal? Uh, when I was in a in the pub, we just caught the spy constantly. <laughs> um, like, I think pretty the spy won about one in five games. And also, when you get dealt that spy card, we were all just pretty scared. Like, I didn't <sighs> want the spy. Like, in the resistance, you go, Aha, I am a cool moustache twiddling evil person. In Spyfall, it's like, oh, no. No, I don't know where I am again. Oh, it's my. really bad if you get it early in the, I find, early in the round of questioning. If it goes round and you're, you know, the last person in the circle... Or you, you know, people take a few questions before they come to you. It's a lot easier. Yeah. But no. when, yeah, when you draw that and you are the first or the second person, yeah, someone yeah. just points at you and goes, "Paul, uh, uh, do you find these uniforms uncomfortable?" <laughs> you go, "Yeah, I'm proud to serve." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We we had more often than not, we had the spy just immediately tapping out, being yeah. like, "Ah, oh, it's not me. I'm out. I'm out. I can't do it." Because like, if the yeah, that's the great mechanic as well. If the spy taps out before anyone accuses them, they do get a guess. They get, they get guess one final guess, which is a lovely uh, little mechanic. So well, me and Matt haven't had all the success though, uh, because we tried to play Panamax. And we didn't. We didn't have. The... Well, we didn't really try to play Panamax. We did. I. Mm, I tried. I tried. You tried to read the manual. <laughs> I tried to read the Paul. Oh my goodness, Paul! I'm sorry. We tried to play Panamax, and our review is coming. But basically, Paul. I love, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> what I love this. He's uh, <laughs> waiting for you to read the manual. To be fair, there was music playing in the background, which was probably quite distracting. And you looked like you were just sort of gradually unpeeling an onion, but it was like a TARDIS onion that, as you peeled <laughs> layers back, more layers appeared. It was of you just going, ah, this game's a lot more complicated than I thought. And in the end, though, I love that you, you kept having waves of being like, no, I'm going to crack this manual. We will be able to do it. I could see it in your eyes. You're like, no, we'll be able to do it. Until eventually you gave up, and we instead played a game called Super Rhino. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we talk, I can't remember if we've talked about Super Rhino on the podcast we, before. We can't have done because, well, no, a while ago, yeah, yeah, maybe. But uh, but oh, Super Rhino. Super Rhino is great, but it, it's effectively a game for children. I'm I'm going to put it out on the podcast now. Super Rhino, which is basically a game where you build and sometimes have to place a figurine called Super Rhino. Better than Panamax. I'm just <laughs> wow. Official shot up and verdict. Yeah, basically pounding techno and one of the most obtuse manuals I've ever read meant that I got more angry with Panamax than I've ever got with a game. We'll play it, but for now, why don't you walk us through Panamax? Well, all right. For a start, I, I don't blame you at all. I played Panamax at BGGCon. Um, and uh, I played it with a few other people who, who do... Uh, wonderful board gamey video things on the internet. I paid it with Tiffany, Ralph, and a couple of the Board with Life people. Tiffany had read the manual already, and she said, don't look at the manual, don't read it, it's awful. Oh, good. I'm glad I've got some backup. Yeah, it's just... And it's, it is, isn't it? It's like... you. I just, so we should explain quickly that Panamax is a game about shipping in the Panama Canal, which yes. is like one of those comedically boring board game themes, but we're like, oh, the game is probably fun, there's dice involved. But then you read the manual, and like... You enter this kind of existential crisis of like, why am I doing? <laughs> what possible end goal could I have? Do I really want to play a game about shipping? Is this who we are? Is this what I've become? So here's the thing. I, I thought it was pretty good. I didn't love it, but I liked it. I want to play it more to sort of have an opinion of it. But mechanically, I didn't find it all that 
complicated compared to some of the, the other stuff we've played and reviewed. It's just explained badly, but it's fundamentally about um, putting dice, which are crates, on ships that you own or other people own. You can move your own ships, other people can move their ships, but you can put your crates on their ships, so sometimes you know you kind of want to encourage them to move your stuff and they want you to move their stuff. And the kind of the fun thing is to get through all the locks on the canal, you sort of have to push your way in, but if ships are lined up in a row, then you can, from behind one ship, kind of push all the rest along and have a ship shunt thing happening. Is that good? Are you then So is the game putting your ships in the way of other people so that they then spend their turn pushing your ships forward? It can be, or negotiating to make that happen, or accidentally having a ship jam, or uh. accidentally push, pushing someone's cargo through to the other side and making them richer. Uh, you can also <laughs> do things like buy stocks in each other's company, and you yes, can move, see? like... That sounds interesting. Around. This is None all the stuff is... that I got excited by. But yeah. then the manual is just this like wormhole of of cubes and numbers and words that they don't bother to explain for yeah. two pages. Yeah. And, oh God, it's it's appalling. I, I, I completely agree, and I think that's a shame. And I think it. I, I'm not saying it's a simple or easy game, but I think compared to you know we we've looked at some games that are quite complex, and I don't think it's like out of the range of someone who sits down and reads a manual for 20 or 30 minutes, which we do. I just think it's really not thought out and it could do with another edition or someone on the internet making a video to explain what's happening. Okay, well, good. But so long as we're drilling your Canadian mine for the oil of, of board games that you like played. That. Let's talk about the Witcher board game, because that's Oof. a board game which sounds, cool, which sounds simpler than Panamax. How would you describe The Witcher to people who aren't aware of The Witcher IP brand? The Witcher, right? It's about this really pale chap who's got um, like quite pale hair and he goes around uh, murdering monsters. Mm, I'm also, intrigued. Also occasionally having a bit of a sexy time with some ladies. <laughs> well, hang on. Now, Matt, those the two things don't seem like they would naturally be friends. Well, I think he does tend to separate the activities because uh, well, the main thing about The Witcher really is that it's quite a dangerous world. And it's got lots of monsters in it. And monsters aren't just things that you go off and bash on the head and are done with quite quickly. They're things which often plague towns for a very long time and they're very dangerous. Hmm. And most people, if you try and deal with them, will just get murdered. And so he's sort of this weird mutant guy who, because he's partially a bit of a monster himself, can hunt them quite successfully. But it's still very difficult and it means that you just sort of turn up and you say, give me some money and I'll kill some monsters. And if people say oh, we're not going to give you money, then you sort of go, well, I'm going to go somewhere else. Then. Yeah, oh, you're making me want to play the video games. Yeah, I actually want to play it. <laughs> the Witcher 2 has been on my to-do list for ages. Oh, The Witcher 2 has some super interesting stuff. The main uh, thing, and you, the giveaway that it's not a Western IP is that the reason Geralt, who's the protagonist, has so much sex with the ladies is that because he's mutant, he's also infertile. So the women see him and go... Ooh, I can have no frills attached sex with that man. Even though he's really pale and has really long grey hair and it's a bit creepy. And has yellow eyes, Jesus. Yeah, he's got like weird yellow snake eyes. Paul, how much sex did you have in the Witcher video board board <laughs> <laughs> The Witcher board game? I didn't have any. Ooh. But I, I killed a wolf. You killed a wolf. Uh I, I killed a lot actually I killed a lot of things, um, playing as various different characters. That's a, that's a really good description of the Witcher and kind of how grim it is. Um, oh yeah, he's got lots of buddies as well. And there's a little dwarf. Yeah. And there's a rotund guy. Rotund. That's the one. <laughs> rotund. And there's a guy who's like a bard. 
Yeah. And there it is. And the bard's a bit of a sort of rake. Yeah. Yeah. And his lady friend, who's also really dangerous. Mm. I should know. In the first game, you just seem to have sex with everybody willy nilly. Uh, where if they were a lady with with rest, then it was fair game and it was fairly problematic. But in the second game, it's better. So yeah, good. But there's not much sex with anything. No wolves. No, <laughs> Matthew. No, uh, no. I'm it's, not saying that's it's, right, but it's just a game, Paul. Yeah, it's true. It's just a game. No, it's it's very much um, it's very PG, and it doesn't touch on any of the more adult or any of the sort of more ethically morally murky things that are really part of. Yeah, well, if I was being cynical, which sometimes I am. I would just say sort of it's fundamentally there's some mechanics in this game and there's kind of a Witcher theme on top. The thing is, I don't know, that seems weird because especially one of the things I guess I didn't get across is when I was talking about him being like, oh, I'm not going to do this, I'm going to chip off, is that it's such an ethically grey world. That's the whole point. That's what's interesting about it, yeah. Yeah. It's It's, the... Sorry, Quint. Oh, no, yeah, I just remember the great moment in The Witcher 2 that took the top of my head off is... uh, yeah, there's a massive army camp that are going to go fight some elves, and you can side with them, or you can side with the elves. But there's just, neither of them are good. Both are kind of awful, but you have to throw in your yeah. lot with one of them. And often, like you know, you don't do. It doesn't ever expect you in that traditional thing to just do something because it's a good thing to do. Yeah, like the, you can, but then often you're not rewarded for it no. because it's an intrinsically good act. It's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, the, the the game thematically lives in the Witcher world and it has the Witcher kind of monsters which instead of just orcs and goblins it's like things called drowners or uh, drowners yeah Yeah, things that just come out of lakes and drown people or sort of monsters that have clearly been dead for a very long period of time and are hideous Um, and it has that all that sort of stuff in it and it has the characters that you recognize and it has all the famous locations that you might or might not recognize but fundamentally it's uh, it's a little bit kind of Arkham Horror-ish in that basically you and uh, the rest of the team, it's not co-op though, it's it's competitive. You and the rest of the team walk around the map essentially kind of collecting tokens, which are a sort of currency that you turn, you cash into complete quests, which score you victory points. And depending on the, the criteria, you have to complete one or I think three or five quests and then whenever someone's done that, you all total up your victory points because you can do things like side quests and get extra victory points for no, monsters. No. And it's, all, it's a game about moving around and collecting things and spending things. And it's okay for that. It's I think the light bad. just got slightly darker in the room where Matt and when, I are sitting. It's just a shame, isn't it? Because it? it could have it could, been It could, it be, could anything. be this for anything. It could, yeah, it could be that for Lord of the Rings or it could be that for Warhammer or it, it could be that for... Uh, a spy in Europe in World War Two. Does it at least conjure up the sense of it being very difficult to do things and having to prepare properly before you attempt to do things? A bit. It does a bit because at times it can feel like a slog. What what tends to happen as the game goes along? There's a lot of different decks of cards and you can draw cards that uh, basically buff your character. So you okay. can... Uh, I'm trying to remember what they're called now. They're they're bonus cards. You drill them from the deck, and they're things like their allies or their extra mm. bonuses that make you better at things. Um, if you're someone like Geralt, you can sort of learn new potion recipes and then prepare those potions and okay, put okay. tokens on them to drink them later to make you better in combat. Okay, and then um, there's decks of monsters, and as you go around, you're inevitably drawing more and more monsters out of the deck. And you don't always kill them, you know, again, a bit like kind of Arkham Horror. Some of them just sit on the board and then everyone walks into them every other turn because they're just always there, always attacking you. 
And then the monsters like injure you or they give you something called foul fate, which means that you don't feel very well or bad, <laughs> bad luck happens to you. But also other events cause bad luck and you might Get out, you, you end up poorly. in these, <laughs> Yeah, you end up in these loops where you run into a monster that gives you bad luck. And the bad luck card causes you to draw another monster that might give you more bad and you can sort of you burn these things oh, off but man. it just it gets a bit tiring and you, you walk around to... and you spend stuff you collect things and it's just a bit it doesn't feel like you're doing things it feels like you're preventing things from happening or just enduring them as mm. the game kind of rolls on and even though it's competitive you don't you pretty much don't ever affect what other players do you can drop monsters near them or Oh, you're you making might... me so sad. I'm, I'm yeah, really it's, sorry. It's got this thing, yeah, because it's like competitive, but you're playing as Geralt and his buddies, right? So it's basically like who can do the best quest. It sounds like you should have been a fable game or something like that. It sounds like quite light and. It's just a real. I think it's a real shame, especially with the stuff we've seen yeah. with the crossroads stuff, you know. Oh, in Dead of Winter. Dead yeah. of Winter, you sort of think, apply something like that, where it's like, yeah. oh, in this game, the mission is save the village. And. It's. You know, from this monster. Providing really ethically grey decisions that then affect the game. And yeah, it's even... not really. You, you do, there's a lot of cards. You draw cards and you resolve what they do. And because there's lots of different cards in different decks, there's lots of random events, so something comes up. You, you can actually draw cards that just say nothing happens. <laughs> That's those are the like, best okay. cards. That's the second best card after cards that say miss a turn. It's not bad. It looks nice. It has nice, cool custom dice. It has a lot that happens in it. And there's always, you know, wheels turning and you go, oh, you know, here's another different monster that I've not seen before. And this one injures me before I even fight it. That's great. <laughs> but, you know, it's sort of, it's like, a, a, I don't even want to say, a, why am I thinking a firework display? Because they're quite kind of, it's sort of like <laughs> some, some flashing lights and you go, oh, that's nice. But I don't want to look at that for ages because it's, it's not that interesting. It sounds to like, me like... It's okay. It's one of those things where if you're a big fa- big fan of The Witcher and you like the world and you like the characters and you like the monsters and you'll probably have a fun time. But if you're a fan of like the setting and the style and the tone, then it's not really going to do much. I mean, obviously it's like we've been playing the XCOM game again this week and we won't probably won't talk about that much. But it's like it does just about do a good job of feeling a bit thematically like sure. XCOM. It's like, it, it draws a lot of the same terror of XCOM, the same kind of emotions you feel and makes you feel them in a different context. Yeah, so it's like, I know that despite that, a lot of why I really like the XCOM board game is because I love XCOM so much that it just feels like, ah, I love all the pieces, love all the little men, love all the cards. Tiny little plastic pieces. Uh, I love like doing the things that you get to do in the game. And I yeah. know that that's like me just being a sucker and that's fine. <laughs> but like, it sounds like this doesn't really, it's, Maybe I don't love The Witcher enough to be like... Uh, I don't know. No, I think, you're right. I think the XCOM board game is a plenty good port. No, I think it is, yeah. And this is not a fire... Official review, The Witcher board game, not a firework. No. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> not a, a firework. Fire. XCOM's a good comparison because the XCOM board game has you, with the like you say, the same terror, the same experiences of going, I've got no money, or, you know, I just I actually can't kill that thing, or, you know, that sort of level of of being parallel. Sure. Level of being parallel. Uh, it's not a firework. Is it a Catherine myself. wheel? No, Catherine wheels are good. Although once in my garden, we had a Catherine wheel that came off its uh, nail really? and hit the grass and just sort of started rolling around <laughs> like an aggressive Dark Souls enemy. That must enemy. have been awesome. <laughs> it was the coolest thing that happened to me that day. I've got a cool thing that is going to happen to you two right now. What? Is it a firework? I've, it's a firework in feature form. Don't put fireworks off in here. Please. I've got, Matt, some things you have to do 
to make good uh, radio. No, I had an idea for a podcast because there's a lot, uh, a feature because there's a lot of games on Board Game Geek, aren't there? There's like 120,000 or something now. And so here's what we're going to do. You two are going to work as a team to get rid of some of them to get to <laughs> hack into Board Game and delete. No. I searched for the word banana on Board Game Geek. <laughs> okay. And here's what we're going to do. I've got five games here picked from the more than 50 games with banana in the title, one of these is not a real game. <laughs> and you two are going to have to put your little banana heads together and work out which game it is. Oh, you could... Yeah, I'm Attention. not going to this. <laughs> I think I only know one game with bananas in it. Uh, it. I'll give you a hint. That game's not on this list. <laughs> no, I didn't think of that. Uh, okay, Paul, are you ready? Yes. Matt, are you ready? No. Okay, here Say we go. Say that you are, Matt. Game, yes. no- game number one. Title, Am I a Banana? In Am I a Banana, uh, you can be one of 80 household items, one of which will be attached to your forehead using an inch-wide industrial rubber band. (laughs) (laughs) Discover whether you are indeed a banana using skillful questions. Hang on. This isn't a board game. This is just something you do if you've got elastic bands and and nothing else to do. This is basically, yeah, this is what happened when cavemen invented rubber bands. I think this sounds like an incredible game. (laughs) We can go on to review some of these, uh, not the fake one. I kind of feel like I'd be able to tell if you strapped a banana to my head. Uh, no, it's not a physical object. It's just a word, the ca- like a card. Oh right, okay, that makes more sense. <laughs> not that, not an actual. House I thought this was just something you could do. To your I was head. like, this isn't a this isn't a retail product. This I is mean, just you could do you that. Could do in your house. And if people at home want to send us pictures with household objects strapped to their heads with rubber bands, then just go ahead. Like, you know, Please like, do. Yeah. The, am I a banana? But so hold on, this yeah. is just the the, the twenty questions game. Uh, yes, but in banana form, basically. Yeah, instead of instead of exciting people like Attila the Hun or Joan of Arc, it's like <laughs> you're a washing a machine or a council tax bill. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> listen, you're Jamie Oliver, all right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, game number two: Raid on Banana Ma: Colon the Bad Boys Game. Oh no, the evil El Presidente from the nation of Banana Ma has been running drugs in this area movement game. Players either control the bad boys of the American Special Forces or El Presidente's drug cartel in a race to find El Presidente. I'll be, I'll be very straight with you. I don't know if I can get through five of these. <laughs> <laughs> I think that one's probably real. Do we think? Okay. Wow. I think the first two are real. Yeah. Yeah. All Let's right. see. Game number three. Stop. <laughs> oh, I can't even get through these. And I wrote them down earlier. Game number three is called Stop, Let's Banana. <laughs> and I- a 1989 release from VSK Schenenspiel, Stop Let's Banana, sees players taking turns to draw a card. The card will tell them whether to hang a banana token from their body or perform an action, possibly some dismounting some of the bananas they've placed on their body. This has got coins made it up written <laughs> no, all no, over it's not. it. I, I don't think it's first, made up. First to ten bananas wins. Mounting bananas on your body. What with industrial strength, plastic <laughs> bands. <laughs> no, right, wait, wait, because I don't think you made it up because it has a German word that sounded German and also it sounds really bad, but it sounds like certain kinds of fun German games. <laughs> I want to invent... I feel awful because G- Germans are great and Germany's great, but I think there's a certain strand of German humour that's that's a bit like that. Okay. It's a bit like, you know, oh, we're covered I mean, definitely, now. If they, we can do this feature every podcast from now on, and we can just do, like, make up any number of German words, enough German words to make you happy, To, 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 to fool Paul. Paul is <laughs> so just easily fooled by German-sounding <laughs> words. I think it's that level of, of dad humour. It's dad humour. It's like the, the, the 
like your dad dancing badly at a wedding or it's that level of sort of isn't this wacky it's like no parents it's not <laughs> okay. and I can imagine that being real uh, alright so Matt's tentative vote for game number three uh, game number four win lose or banana this is a game with three cards each player receives a card the player who receives the win card reveals it and his objective is to choose the player who has the banana card this is the entire game <laughs> You struggle to sell that, wouldn't you? I think <laughs> it's more of a print and play. I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, if wrong. it's real, I mean, you'd struggle to come up with two hundred words for the copy for the back of the box. Oh, I'm now coming to terms with the possibility that the game involving hanging bananas on your person might be a real <laughs> thing. Yeah, and that's a shame because if it wasn't, I really wanted to try and create rules for a game which involves just strapping bananas to yourself. <laughs> Paul, any thoughts on win lose banana? I, I, I'm, I'm struggling to keep it together okay. with the banana things. Game number uh, f- I think that's probably real because it's so disappointing. <laughs> game number five, our final game, Good King Banana. A 1933 release, Good King Banana is a retheming of Pin the Tail on the Donkey, except instead of pinning a tail on the donkey, players pin the banana on Good King Banana. Whereabouts on him? Well, I didn't oh. look at the, uh, the images for that one. Did but, you have oh. Google Safe Search switched on? Google Safe Search. For some reason, man, I couldn't look at any of the images of Good King Banana. I, I don't know about that because 1933 for a game, although that's pinned the tail on the thing. Although mm, that was mm. that was before World War Two, <laughs> at which at which point bananas became more scarce. Scarce. So at that point, maybe it was there more was of a kind banana of, surplus. Yeah, yeah it was banana maybe it was history. kind of like a renaissance. I don't know. I'm for the banana. Here. So maybe bananas were so hot that they were putting them in everything at that point. Gentlemen, I'm going to have to ask for your answer. I've, I've actually, you can't see this, but I've had to slightly wipe a tear from my eye just at the sound. Of, because every every game you've described, I've had an image of the people playing it, and they've always been sad, <laughs> like hanging bananas on each other, but really sad, or just you know, a, a, your grandma going, "Am I a banana?" I at mean, Christmas. I'll be the honest. Game. There were enough sad banana games that I could repeat this feature multiple times and have five oh, new banana goodness. games. I want to in this irregular thing. Can we do banana buckaroo? Uh, well, that's basically very close to Stoplet's banana. It is, I know. I, I'm basically I'm at risk of, of being sued <laughs> by the banana lobby. Uh, uh, what do you think, Matt? I think it's the um, Stoplet's banana. I think I don't know. I, there just wasn't a lot of detail about how you attach the bananas to your person. I have never tried to attach a banana to my person, which may come as a surprise. But um, <laughs> I, I imagine it'd be quite difficult, and I don't know where you'd how you do that or where you'd hang them. So I think it's just ridiculous. Just, by the way, for anyone listening right now who doesn't follow Matt on Vine, if you like bananas, follow Matt on Vine. Oh, that's... God, <laughs> just that's find true. Matt's Vine. Banana fans yeah. will be missing out. Paul? Uh, that might... To be honest, actually, that might be it. I think the sort of banana political thing sounds like some not very good 70s or 80s board game that has a slightly <laughs> narrow view of, you know... Uh, tropical countries because they tended to do that kind of stereotyping sure sure. um the am i a banana sounds exactly like a christmas party game the last one the one that coincides with the rise of hitler (laughs) sounds like it could could have happened a number of bad things happened that year i love that you're saying that just just leaving it out there that there could have been 
I... We don't know if there was a correlation. <laughs> we're just saying <laughs> it just happened at the same time. We're not we're not saying it definitely caused it, but Oh man. I'm I'm gonna go with Matt actually. I'm gonna say uh I'm gonna go with Matt and say that banana hanging is okay. maybe the least likely. Well here's the thing. Technically, you're both right. But because the game number three here's the thing though. Technically, also, all five of these games are real. The only thing I made up was the name Stop Let's Banana. The game itself, where you are hanging bananas on your person, is real. Uh, So the only thing I made up was the name. The actual name of the Hanging Banana game was Banana Drama. But it really was a release from VSK Erwaschenspiel. It's a trick question. Uh, it was a trick. It was a trick question. See, banana drama is a much better name. If if it was called banana drama, you might still. Uh, I should have just made it up. I was in a hurry. I didn't have time to make up a game, and they were all so mad. You, you were in a hurry. You didn't have time for imagination. <laughs> I'm telling oh, you, this is sad. Frankly, no. I would encourage our users though to look up "Am I a Banana," which is the rubber band game, because I cannot tell you how thick. And how sinister the industrial rubber bands the ship with that game were. <laughs> I mean, like, they look like they would cut off... Like, if you put it round your forehead, it would just cut off blood supply within five minutes. I think this was, like, some weird, like, loophole of a way that they could get these industrial strength rubber bands to people legally. Yeah, maybe it was a way of, like, lowering the birth rate of America by <laughs> this game to absolutely everybody. So, Quinns, can we get a review copy of this? Uh, of which? Of Banana Drama? Yes. Uh, I'll look. How I'll, be, I'll go on eBay. That? I'll be on eBay as soon as I get home. So, on the last podcast, we talked a little bit about a game called Dead Body, which was a sort of folk game. Not really folk, I suppose, but it's made by people. Right? Yeah, people in the wild. A game to be passed on to your kids. Raw, unrefined, true game. The only true game. Um, yes, and we had a message from somebody who played Dead Body and shared a little story about it. Greetings from Montana. Montana. This is uh, sent in by a man called Adam. Is that close to where you are, Paul? It actually kind of is, yeah. And I always wanted to go to Montana when I was young because it's full of log cabins and forests and mountains. So that's not... And dead bodies, I could do that. Well, yeah. (laughs) Well, it's apparently, in in Adam's words, a snow-covered winter wonderland of a state here in the colonies. Being shut in more than half a year by frigid walls of snow lends itself well to playing games and listening to podcasts about playing games. Do you still want to go to Montana, <laughs> Paul? Paul, we'll never see you again. Uh, maybe. It also means that games like Dead Body are not only fun, but the activity of dragging bodies across the floor and running down dark corridors with a murderer in hot pursuit Jesus. provides the frenetic heat we need just to stay warm. <laughs> Adam, you're painting this to be more of a necessity for human life to continue. Rather than a game, which uh, says the irony in my case is that I am a youth leader at our church. Oh no. Bloody hell, this is getting darker by the minute. And the kids can't get enough of darting around the catacomb-like rooms in our building, slashing at each other's throats and stashing bodies in broom closets and under pews. Good lord, it's a good job we haven't put his full name in. I think he's going to end up getting excommunicated. Um... The tension of the game itself is fantastic, but giving the mixed-gender youth a a venue to run around in the dark in a safe and controlled environment is both fun to watch and is often the only time many of these kids get to interact with members of the opposite sex on an equal playing field. I've found that lots of youth groups play this game and many others that you would not expect from what is often perceived as traditionally conservative establishment. If nothing else, it proves that board games like Have a Strange Power to Change the World 
in more ways than we expect. Oh, that's lovely. Oh. That's lovely. Obviously, I joked yeah. about that. You know, you, you probably won't get excommunicated. <laughs> you know, mostly just the idea of running around a pitch black church screaming just to the man with a knife slashing each other's up. throats in the catacombs. That's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. I'm sure, that was a dream sequence in Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, it's yeah, that sounds that sounds lovely. That's I hope a- that people. Uh, put kids in catacombs all over the world and stuff. No, I can't remember the last time I dragged a body. It was probably doing some kind of drama thing when I was young. But if you haven't dragged a body of your friends, you definitely should, because it's crazy how heavy bodies are. I thought he was mm. going to go down the angle of... And this is, I'd love to do this now, to like go somewhere with snow and log cabins and play this game in multiple little log cabins. Oh, like no. You know, like, um, have you seen like Dead Snow? Like, or... Um, You've seen the film Dead Snow? No. Is that yes. the one with all the Nazis? That yeah, it's around, the one with so. Nazi zombies. Uh, we're on a real Nazi roll today. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's just the idea of that kind of cabin, and little log cabins. Imagine playing it where you, you physically, if everyone's like wearing proper cold stuff, and they're actually dragging somebody's body through, through the, the snow, snow and leaving like leg drag marks. Oh God, I thought oh you were just going to go like, you enter one of the cabins that you haven't been to in a while and you find 14 of your friends well, that in a as well. Pile. That as well, I guess you'd have to have a rule where you can't leave people outside in the snow because otherwise <laughs> people would actually die. But I thought he was going to go for that with the idea of like, you can see where people have been tracked. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Folk games, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Paul, do you have something? Uh, do you have this week's <laughs> folk game that someone sent in. Uh, well, I have a letter from a shut up and sit down long time fan that I could read. Wow! Here we go. If we're all if we're all uh, sat and comfortable by the fire, I am ready to hear about day. another magical folk game. Does it involve which... kids with knives? <laughs> Invo- I mean, it, it can't. We're, we're, it's all downhill from here towards where the bodies have been dragged. <laughs> uh, they just roll downhill, don't they? Yeah. Brian Belida writes in. And he says, <clears throat> Greetings, I'd like to pass on word of a game I discovered through the parkour community. Oh, no. <laughs> Is this going to be like jump through a window and then... No, okay, well, well, sorry. Don't, don't judge soon, we'll see, we'll see. <clears throat> it's a physical game about knocking people out by jumping onto their feet. Okay. It's what? Simi- <laughs> Hold on. You can't it's... knock someone out by jumping <laughs> on their feet. You need to jump on their head. No. Concussion is not... It's not going to work like that, Paul. Well, well, Brian disagrees. He, he says it's simultaneous turn-based and also has an element of bluffing. PDQ pretty darn quick. Hmm. Far as I know, he says, it originated in 2002 from a fellow who calls himself Duct Monkey. Here's the original rules video, and he attaches a thing that we can we can pop in the po- oh, good. podcast okay. description. And here's a best set of the written rules that I can find. But he presents a quick overview, which is very helpful. Players start in a circle, count off a turn order, jump backwards, and create a larger circle. Okay. In order, players take turns executing a single jump. And if it's not <laughs> your turn, you can only jump when a person whose turn it is is in the air. Oh, no. And you get people out by jumping and landing on their feet. So they get to jump first, but then as soon as... As soon as they're in the air, then you have to leap backwards. But it means they can fake you out by like going and not actually well, jumping. This is it. You can get people jump. out by fake jumping towards them. If they flinch and come off the ground, they're out. Oh. oh so if and you didn't actually jump. Yeah. So it basically slaps, but you're jumping instead of... It sounds crazy yes. to me, but, but he says there's a fair bit of strategy, such as making sure you don't jump toward whoever's turn is next, or <laughs> jumping at the last moment before the actual player lands, I just so that ma- you have the final air time to land on someone's feet. I, oh, I can't see this in my head. I, I kind of can. 
it, I think it's kind of beautiful and also the most exhausting thing. I'm immediately reminded of the time that I watched Brendan play Johann Sebastian Joust, which, if people don't know, is a game played with PlayStation Move controllers. And everyone holds one, and then you all move very slowly, and if anyone moves too fast, then they're out. So it's a game of kind of moving, of trying to push people, basically. Yes. But our mutual friend, Phil Cameron, who is a tall man... <laughs> A tall, powerful man. Basically, he's a just a warrior's frame, and he pushed Brendan so hard, Brendan kind of didn't just trip. He kind of disappeared into a corner where a subwoofer was. There was just a massive bang noise. <laughs> Christ. Ah, uh, yeah, happy days. But this reminded me of that. Just the joy, because I'm imagining if you're doing jumps, if the only way you can move is a jump, it means you're going to have to land on those feet, and if you don't have balance, you're just going to keep. It's just going to fall over. As you say, there is a game called Slaps, which maybe it's probably got a different name outside of the UK, but that's basically with Slaps. It's the idea of you if you you just hold your hands together as if like as if in prayer, but with the horizontal rather than vertical, and you you touching finger to finger with the other player, and then just to start off, and then you just have to use one hand quickly to slap their hand, mm-hmm. but then if they manage to pull back and dodge that dodge your slap, then... But this is, this is the difference. The thing with slaps is basically the prize in, <laughs> yeah. in, in slaps is violence. So basically the way it works is if they if you manage to dodge their hand when they try and do a little slap on you, then you get to get have a free slap on their hand. Conversely, as hard as you Conversely, can. if you manage to slap their hand with a little slap, then you get to slap their hand. Yeah. So basically it's just like you've got to try and do very quick little taps to, to win, and then when you win, you get slapped your other hand as hard as you want, which is why it's mainly popular with young boys. Really. <laughs> I remember playing it a lot when I was about 15, 16. You know what, though? Pretty Darn Quick sounds like that, but with all the grace and like, like just the idea of a mm. knockout game as well. If there's 10 people and you slowly knock people out, eventually it's going to come down to two people hopping at each other. Like, Yeah, <laughs> well, I like the fact that really you can't. There's no, you can't really hurt people too much with it unless you are like ridiculously big, like and like unless you are a tower. If you're like a kind of a Phil style monster being able to jump on things, then you might actually end up really hurting someone if you jump on their feet. <laughs> and I, people... I imagine. Sorry, go on. I was gonna, no, go for it. I, I was just going to say also for the end game. I just imagine it, by that time you're probably exhausted, oh, and it yeah. begins as a game where everyone is jumping like crazy, and ends as a game where you're sort of huffing. And falling over. <laughs> I mean, also, if you miss time your jump, if you, if you fall short of someone, that's fine. But if you jump too far, then you are inevitably going to jump into them and you will both just fall over. Yeah, I love the idea as well of, of having to wait for the right moment to jump. Of like, if they've jumped, then you want to wait until the very last minute to jump so that when you, so that when you start your jump, they will be landing so you can Ooh. you can land on them. So oh, of course. What? That's what the timing is about. That's insane. Is it basically means that you have to wait until maybe <laughs> they're just about to land on your feet and then quickly jump and then so you can then carefully land on their feet because obviously they won't be able to jump again. Oh, God. Which I have a, a suggestion like... for this. Okay. Very quickly that I've got to throw in before it leaves my head. Possibly we try this at some point, but we have to try either on a trampoline or in a bouncy castle <laughs> with no referee. That, oh, okay. It's a bouncy castle game. I think a bouncy castle would be okay. I think a trampoline would be very unsafe. Good. Remember, but not that long ago, we were all jumping on a, boun- uh, uh, trampoline. On a trampoline that together. Was safe. That was a great work day. It was safe, but at the same time, you notice it was only safe because we largely stayed away from each other. <laughs> as soon as you get close to each other, you start to accidentally knee each other in the face. Yeah. Quite That's alarming. 
Um, so don't do that at home if you've got a trampoline. Also, don't if you have kids, don't put them in a catacomb with knives. Uh, <laughs> man, this folk game segment is just exciting. Most people can die. Uh, and on that note, people should absolutely try uh, pretty darn quick and write in. And uh, next week's or well, next time's podcast, we're going to read out the best story of playing pretty darn quick and do send in a folk game if you play one because then we can read out your folk game and suggest dangerous house rules to it. Apparently, because that's what we do. Ah. <sighs> Touching. Touching. What have you got coming up next, Paul? In life or on uh, the podcast? I hear people say that at the end of the podcast, so I said it without <laughs> thinking about it. But now I think about it, you're just in a house in Canada. Probably well, I'm, I'm, in an, I'm in an apartment. Uh, Van- Vancouver is where I am, and it's uh, it's quite mild, so there's not been any snow at all. It's actually a couple of degrees south of England, so wow. and it's sort of it's fairly mild. What I can do, if you like is conclude, I didn't tell you the third weird thing about the car crash. Oh. I could conclude with that. With Spooky. This is beginning as we ended. This is classic. Go for it, Paul. <laughs> so I appear to be the only sort of non-participant who saw this, apart from the police officer who'd just been driving behind one of the cars. But then this other man comes up out of nowhere, sort of about two minutes after the police officer and I have had a chat, and she says, did you see a thing? And I say, yeah, we check everyone's okay. And she calls colleagues. This guy just comes up and he, he just says, oh, yeah, I, I know what was happening. Yeah, this guy, he's always driving up and down here. He's never looking. At, and he, you should look because I'm a criminal and I don't get caught. So because I look what I'm doing. And if you're going to be a criminal, don't be stupid. And I'm not a stupid criminal. I got, And he starts pulling out like his license and his credit card and showing his it to me. His criminal license? I just he just wanted to show me all these documents and kept telling me that he was a criminal but he'd never been caught. Do you reckon he was the in worst fr- undercover cop in the world? Yeah, he was. Hey, way- buddy, well, I'm a criminal. It's <laughs> a honey. You trap. got any criminal going on? Any good this crime around here? Because he did this. Remember, there's like a, a police officer right next to me, and she completely ignored him the whole time, and it was a bit like Quantum Leap. Well, you have Sam and Al, and like Al is going crazy at Sam, and Sam doesn't know what to do and looks around, and no one else can see Al. It was exactly like that. He came out of nowhere, and he just, he wasn't like it was raining, and he wasn't wearing any coat or anything, and he just started telling me how much he was a criminal and never had been caught. And then he vanished, and I've never, I've never seen him since. Doing some hot Although it crime. was last night. Well, uh... Isn't that weird? It is weird. Do yes. try and figure out if you really are in an episode of Quantum Leap <laughs> before the next podcast. But for now, I'll say thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.